Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, last night for dinner, uh, me and Joanne, we made a... Uh, Quinoa, which I like quinoa, but I, it's I got the red quinoa, which I don't. There's like five different kind of quinoa, and I don't know. I mean, brown rice and brown rice and white rice, you know, you can tell there's a difference. But the quinoa, they all taste the same. And I've noticed this: if anyone here eats quinoa, I love that name. I, when it first came out, I called it quinoa. I thought it was called, and I, my friends like it's, people would say quinoa, and I go, what what the hell is that? And they go, you know, quinoa. And finally, I'm like, oh, quinoa, which if you don't know people, it's spelled Q-U-I-N-O-A. So it looks like quinoa. I don't know how I get quinoa because that's like K-E-E-N-W-A. But I noticed the directions are always wrong because you sit there and it says 15 minutes. And I honestly, it's not like rice. Rice gets done. But I never can make good quinoa. I'm sitting there. I let it go for like 20 minutes last night. And it looks done. But then you put it on the plate and there's a little bit of wetness. Anyway, I'm going to ask my guest about that. My guest is Brian T. Finney. How you doing, Brian? Good. How are you doing? Good. Now, you're shaking your head. Do you, do you eat the quinoa? Yes, we've eaten quinoa or quinoa. Yes. Hey, is quinoa it... is, is, uh, is, was my preferred pronunciation for quite a while. Yeah, because you think when you look at it, it it's, like, it's like Sade. It's like it, it doesn't look right, but it's quinoa. It how do they get quinoa out of it? I don't know. I don't even know where it comes from. It's I not mean, Asian. It's like some Middle Eastern, so it, doesn't, it makes less sense. A, a quinoa... Yeah, I, I, I don't understand that at all. Well, I got to tell you about my guest. It's funny. As you know, I was watching Marin, and uh, I saw this gentleman, and I, it's one of those things I do. People, you know, you've heard the show. I watch TV, and I don't watch. I, it's funny. Is I watch it more. I enjoy TV, but I always have an ulterior motive. Like, okay, I'm going to get this person as a guest. And I watched it, and I waited at the end. <laughs> I paused it because it, it was on Netflix. I paused it, and I look at the credits, and I got your name, and then I sent you a message on Facebook. Yeah, and you were like, "What the?" I, yeah. You were like, "What? The, what's this about?" I thought you were punking me. I was just <laughs> like, "Oh, this is a nice joke." <laughs> Somebody's trying to inflate my ego, and I was like, and then I looked at your thing. And it's like only as hip as his guests. So yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a disaster." <laughs> yeah, believe me. <laughs> so, so you've been acting for a long time. Yeah. Where are you from originally? Uh, I was born in Connecticut. Uh, I grew up there for a while, and then my father was transferred down to North Carolina, and then we grew up. I grew up in North Carolina, and then went to college uh, to North Carolina School of the Arts, and then I quit uh, my second year and went to Seattle in '86 to start a theater company with uh, my friend Garrett Bennett and John Lawler Garrett was from there and um and we did and uh and it's still there it's still going well what age did you know you wanted to get into acting because it's so it's like with comics when I talk to comics a lot of them you know they listen to the album you know like Pryor and Carl and people yeah. you know our age you know on our age group our demographic but with actors it's um did you watch a movie or did you sit there were you watching tv and did you what I mean, what what pulled you in I mean was it at a young age yeah it was um it really goes to uh, my brother. My brother was acting, and he was really popular. And I was a really shy kid. I, like I could barely speak at all. Were you the youngest? or I was the youngest. Okay. But usually, the, it's because it's funny, because I used to not shut up as, as a kid. But mm -hmm. then when I got a four or five, I became real shy, like the hiding behind the mom's skirt thing. Sure. And I never knew. I went from... And no one could understand me because I talked so fast when I was a kid. But I went from doing that to being this shy kid. You were always shy? I was really shy. Yeah, I was always shy. And uh, and 
and I saw my brother, it was uh, Andrew, and, and, and um, he was, like I said, he was really popular. He was always funny, and, and he was a um, great actor. We had a six-year difference. Uh, and, uh, and you know what? I, I'm, but I'll finish that story, and then I'll go back to another thing. But, um, and and uh, so I auditioned for um, Junior High Play and got in and the moment I was the cowardly lion and as soon as I got on stage it's like everybody in my class you know it's like roared in laughter and I was like yeah what made you audition for though just because your brother was popular did acting or what I mean it's for a shy kid it takes a lot of chutzpah to sit there and go I'm gonna audition I mean were, were you terrified no I really wanted to change I wanted to be able to I wanted to be um, uh, whatever popular. I wanted to be um, more outgoing. All these sort of things. I was a weird kid. I mean, I'm not a. I'm a, you know I'm a character actor. I've got a weird face. And at the time, I had really long hair and and it's really curly and it was like this big afro. And so I was just this weird, gangly, awkward kid. But um, what I thought about just a second ago was well, I remember when I was in kindergarten. Um, they, there was uh, a production of Wizard of Oz and my classmates, I got transferred from one class to another and my other class that I got transferred out of was doing Wizard of Oz and okay. everybody got cast in it. And I remember seeing the kid playing the lion and I was like, man, I could have done that so much better. That's funny. It's so, because in kindergarten, and it's so funny because people always say like, Kids don't remember stuff, but we do. I mean, I remember stuff oh, yeah. back when I was like three, and I, I was in the hospital. I had an eye operation when I was three. I remember being in the hospital. And I remember, you know, I used to climb out of the crib and I'd cr crawl down the steps. And then I would just like, had like this crazy nightlife. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> but then my parents would find me trying to get, I couldn't get back in the crib and I'd be crying. Sure. But we remember that stuff. So you yeah. remember that guy because you said, I'm better than the lion. Yeah, hell yeah. It's funny you remember. Um, I remember like when I was in the crib as well, and um, uh, we've got an hour, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's fine. No, but believe me, this is <laughs> this is how it goes. It's, it's as I say in my thing. It's an organic chat about the biz. Yeah. Believe me, I've gone different. I had a guy named Mike Ivy, who uh, he's right now in the um, the commercials with the family for the phone with Dice Clay's the gerbil, uh -huh. and he's the African American with the the fro. Sure. And he was on it. Both me and him have suffer from the same. Uh, we have a heart condition and we talked about that the whole time but it was it, nice. but it was about the business but that's the thing about the show it's people tell stories because you know I mean if I wanted to just interview someone I would sit there and I'd have a book and I'd go okay don't look at me Brian <laughs> <laughs> so, so you remember the crib I remember the crib and that's one of my very first memories and um, I was in the crib I'm probably because I was in my parents bedroom as um, we were I've got uh, three siblings, so it was a smallish house, and um, so my crib was in my parents' room, and I was probably like an, a year, year and a half, something like that, and um, the the door to my parents' bedroom swung open, and the light came in through the hallway, and I grabbed the uh, the crib bars, I remember that, and like, so I pulled myself up looking, and uh, and... <clears throat> and my memory of it, and I always thought it was like a dream, whatever. Right, right. But the door opens, and there's a ghost, like a classic 
a head and a sheet type of ghost. A real ghost. Yeah. And it came and um, sort of swung around my parents' bed and, and had this sort of lost look on its face. And, you know, it was just like two eyes and uh, it was just like a Casper type of ghost. So anyway, so that was one of my first memories. And then um, years later, 30 whatever years later, I had my, our kids. Um, I've got uh, 13-year-old twins, but so they were born. That was 13 years ago. My parents came out to visit and see them and all that. And we had just bought a house, our first house, like two years before. And uh, we're sitting on the back porch talking to my parents and, and we're talking about housing prices, how they just went nuts. Right. And we were lucky. We got in early. And uh, and I was asking my dad, how much was that house that um, that we bought that, that that I was born in? He was like, oh, that was, oh, I think that was about $4,000. I was like, oh, geez, that's crazy. And then talked a little bit about that. And then all of a sudden he goes, yeah, but that was a weird house. Oh, wow. And I said, really? I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, I mean. Uh, the, the house that you know where that guy killed his family. Oh my God! So you never knew that. You you <laughs> never, never and, knew and that. It's so funny because you think about that like on like on whenever you see TV now they go oh that's the house you know it's always like that's the house that the such and such family got murdered. So you never knew that someone never knew. Wow! So it was it was probably a ghost of one of the kids, something like that. I mean, and it gets stranger than that is uh, because it, so. My so as I said, I got three siblings. Uh, we lived down. We originally lived down the block. This is in Stamford, Connecticut, and uh, and the guy that my dad bought the house from um, sees that my mo- mom is pregnant and knows that we have a smaller house. So he says, "Hey, you know what? Um, I see that your you, your wife's pregnant. Your family's growing. Why don't you buy my house?" So they sort of made a deal, and back in the day, it was like buying a car. You right. just sort of signed a paper, and tit- them, yeah. your title was over, and there's your check. So my dad goes over and does all that sort of thing, and, and while he's stand- sitting there doing all the paperwork, the guy's saying all these weird things, like, it's all going to be better tomorrow, and uh, and then he starts accusing like his two daughters of being you know, whores, and... And, and during his selling, like so, it's just some dis, disjointed guy talking to yeah, your dad. Yeah, as my dad's like signing this thing, is like, <laughs> okay, I just want to go home. So then he signs all the papers and he goes home. And that night, the guy kills his entire family in the house. In the house your father just bought, just bought. Oh my god! And my dad had already sold our house. And your mom was pregnant with you. Yeah. Okay, but then your brother. Or other siblings may have known, but they probably never told your parents. Probably said never tell them. I asked my brother, um, um, the the brother I've been talking about. He's six years older, and he'd never heard about it. Wow! And then my sister, she's passed away, so I couldn't ask her. But I asked my older brother about it, and um, and he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, that was weird." He's like, "Yeah, the guy," um, and then the guy rigged the house with hand grenades. God. Okay. So that's that's you know that's you you should write a movie about that. God. That's like that's a lifetime, man. That's like a lifetime movie. It's yeah, like it's you know the guy so from bizarre. the guy from Stanford. Yeah, oh, man. The guy from Stanford. See, and what's good you didn't know it as a kid because it, it would have been creepy to creepy the hell out. I, was, I mean, I wouldn't want to live in a house where 
people were all killed. Yeah. Well, we moved out about four or five years later. Okay. Well, good. Um, but then my mother, as we're sitting there, when we were talking about it, she says, yeah, but I think those girls saved Andrew, my brother. I was like, what do you mean? She says, yeah, we, when I was vacuuming the, the house one day, and, um, and all of a sudden the vacuum just stopped. And I went over and I tried to turn it back on, and then I unplugged it and replugged it, and it didn't go on. And then I heard this little little thing like, help, help, help. And so she followed the sound, and she went to the backyard, and we had just gotten rid of our old refrigerator. And I'm sure you've got to remember this old refrigerator, oh, yeah. like this big, huge latch oh, yeah, yeah. on it. And it would kill kids because people would play hide-and-seek. And then they wouldn't get, no and one they would, would find suffocate. Them. Yeah. yeah. So that's exactly what my brother had wow. done. And he had gone, gotten inside of it, and he couldn't get out, and um, she let him out, and then uh, and then she went back in and um, flipped on the vacuum cleaner, and it went. Wow, that, that's crazy. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so funny, that, you know, that the, these ghost stories because they're, they're true. I mean, there's got to be ghosts out there. It's yeah, it's weird. It's just that's one of those crazy. weird things. It's so funny, but it's just so funny you didn't know that till years later. That's oh, crazy. years and years. Yeah, <laughs> so, decades. So you said when you, 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 okay, we're gonna go back to when you were in, you got, you were the cowardly lion. Yeah. And you, did you kill it? Did you have a good performance? Yeah, I killed it. And so you loved it though. You were like, oh, you were, this is energetic. It. So then where do you go from now? Did that change from being shy or did you sit there yeah, and stay? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, because it was like everybody wanted to be my friend and I was like, okay, great. So did you, you pursued acting in high school? Yeah. And then when you, you ended up going to the College of the Arts, so you knew when you were in high school and you went to the College of Arts, you knew you wanted to do it. Yeah, and there was, a, there was definitely, there was one moment where I think it was a sophomore in high school and there was the Hendersonville Little Theater and, uh, and I auditioned for this part in this play and, and there was this, uh, I, I made a deal with myself. I said, if I, um, if I get a good review in the newspaper, and if nobody compares me to my brother during the process of it, then this is what I want to do. Okay. Because um, I was always sort of living in the shadow of my brother. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, I was like, all right, let's go. And so what made you decide you went to school, you went to college? What made you decide just to leave and go to Seattle just because you wanted to be hands-on? Or, I mean, what, you know, you're, you're taking theater classes. You're yeah. in school for the arts. You're a sophomore, I'm guessing. It's a four-year college or whatever. Yep. And so, I mean, you're following, I guess, the path. But what made you click on, did you just say, hey, Seattle, theater? I mean, what made you do that? Because it's a ballsy move. It was, it was a disaster <laughs> of a move. It was good. I mean, no, it was a really good, life-changing thing. And all this and you know my life would have been in all these different ways but i there was a lot of different things i mean it, um i think part of it was i wasn't really happy uh and i wasn't really very mature um uh and uh and i'd also been going up to new york a lot to see my brother and all this and it was just at the time in like early 80s and new york was a freaking it. Oh yeah, I know. I believe me. Of hell, it was crazy. It was I mean, terrifying. Well, I always say when I went to college, place. we went up. We took a, like the bus up from our school because I went to school in South Jersey, and you would walk down Forty Second Street, and you would have girls flashing you, and guys just walking up with dope and sitting there oh, going, "Yeah." yeah but, I mean, there was no rules. It was 
yeah, it was no rules. It was this crazy escape from New York right. world. And yeah, you walk down 40 Strike. There was no, I mean, all those theaters were all boarded up. Oh, it yeah. was just this, like you don't walk down that street because it was dark. Yeah, it was just, just nothing there. It's three o'clock in the afternoon and it's yeah. dark. I mean, seriously, it's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was terrified of that possibility. And that was really the School of the Arts that was just like, you go to New York and. And do musical theater and all this kind of stuff, which not is nothing that I wanted to do anyway. And the summer before, I'd done um, an outdoor drama, um, uh, which was my first sort of professional theater gig, and it was the most miserable experience ever. And I was like, "Oh my god, why? This is it just terrible. wasn't fun." Or it just wasn't the- fun. It was a horrible play. It was, it was written by this this guy back in the whatever 50s or something like that and he was a venerated playwright at the time but it was just so dated and it was so it was it was really tough and um and there was a transition happening there because the old director wasn't there who had nurtured this place and there was a lot of strife and and I was like god this sucks right professional theater sucks so you said you're gonna go to. That's what helped you yeah. go to Seattle. And at that time, there was the, there was the um, we were during theater class. One um, of our teachers would show us uh, PBS of, you know, Steppenwolf was doing True True West with, uh, and I was like, wow, man, that's awesome. That's the kind of theater I want to do. I want to be like those guys. Let's be like Steppenwolf. Let's go right. out there and and do our own stuff and write our own stuff and be awesome. So Garrett was um, from Seattle. And um, and he was going back home early, um, so we were sending him off, and we were drinking a lot. <laughs> and um, it was like a two week bender. Okay. And um, and it just sort of culminated in this 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 very impetuous idea. We drove him, you know, it was me and John Lawler driving him to the airport in the morning and uh and we had had a bender that night before that was the cap off to our two-week bender and we got to the airport and it was a beautiful beautiful sunny spring day in north carolina and beautiful blue skies and i was like wow i'd love to get on a plane right now i was like let's go to seattle and start a theater with garrett we kind of looked at each other over our bloody marys and we're like let's do it so you just jumped on. Yeah, we tried to get on that plane. We and <laughs> no, you don't have any luggage or anything. You just no. <laughs> we were just going to get on the plane right then and there, and um, we just missed it. I mean, back then it was. I mean, you just walk you could just on a yeah, plane. you just There's walk no up and deal. here's fifty bucks, and I'll get to Seattle from North Carolina. Um, and we did, something happened. We couldn't do it, so we came back and tried to get some more money and then we're so i was sobering up at this point i'm like oh my god what am i thinking and we'd already said like written a note and left a note at the at uh, on the bulletin board at the theater like see you later guys right (laughs) we're leaving (laughs) so uh, but um so that was a mess and then having to do with my parents and tell them this ridiculous idea that i just had and um, so eventually I said it, I stayed for the entire, I stayed through the summer to make some money and I was a bus boy or something like that and got enough money 
and uh, and drove across the country and um, and we started we started that's the next summer did our first play was it fun it was fun it was it was trying and it was difficult but you know it was I was 19 and had a lot of energy and was able to you know work 11 hours a day and then go and rehearse and and try to put on a play and then um, and then uh, it sort of took off um, because uh, Garrett had started they called it was called it is called Annex Theater and uh, Garrett had started it with some of his high school buddies uh, who had gone off to college as well uh, and one of them had gone to Yale and uh, he wanted to come back and uh, he heard about what we were doing he was like oh I want to come back and help out and let's let's make this happen so he came back and he brought a lot of his friends and um, and that was really integral to creating the the uh, the the structure. And at that point, we had John had um, uh, been talking to this uh, this um, building owner. There was a th- there was a building in downtown L- in Seattle um, that was a Arthur Murray Dance Studio. Okay. I remember them. I think they're still around. They are. There's a few it's around. Crazy. Oh, it's crazy. Now you can get a Groupon and go dancing. <laughs> but it was this beautiful. It was a great, big, big space. It was on the second story. It was just so cool and hip. And, and he negotiated this whole thing, and we got it for a dollar a year. Okay. Wow. And it was really because that company owned this old historic uh, theater that they wanted to tear down. So it was sort of like, a, hey, we love theater type of thing, I believe, is how it all happened. So anyway, we got this thing for a dollar a year, and and we just started doing plays. And, and then everybody, you know, people in the town, it was a really exciting time to be in Seattle at the time. It was like 1986 and mid-to-late mid 80s. And, uh, and we got our first electric bill. And it's like, yeah, we got a dollar a year. We're and then screwing those guys. <laughs> and then we got our first electric bill. I was like, oh, God. Yeah, because it's a whole theater. It's giant. Oh, my and- God. What are we going to do? How can we do this? And um, one of the, and it was in the summer. We, it was called The Summer of Hell. And uh, we were doing a show called uh, Little Boy Goes to Hell by Mark Nichols. And it was a musical. It was really fun. And um, But Heather Hughes... Uh, she, we, everybody's freaked out about the money. It was like, oh my God, we're going to lose everything. You know, it's like, how can we come up with a thousand dollars? A thousand dollars. How is it possible? And cause we were charging, that was our idea was we would charge what, how much a movie ticket was. You wouldn't have to go to theater and pay more than what you pay for a movie. So it was like $7. So we weren't really making a lot of money at the door. So Heather came up, she said, Hey, you know what? I've got a lot of these friends that are um, musicians. They could come after the show and play after the show, and and um, and we could, you know, um, charge people admission for that and beer and all that kind of. I was like, okay, great, let's give it a try. So we had all these bands come that are now these international sensations. That at the time they're just, you know, getting, like who, like like Nirvana. Okay, so that's the last thing, Nirvana. Screaming Trees, uh, uh, probably Pearl Jam, the, all those guys. Yeah, Mother Love Bone, which 
became Pearl Jam. Okay. It was when Andy Wood was the singer. So these were just, the, you were getting all these, so you guys were like on the forefront of that whole grunge scene. Yeah, it was really That's fun cool. and exciting. And, um, uh, you know, I was sort of torn because I was like, fuck, man, everybody's coming to see the bands and not see the play. I was like, man. And then I remember I was walking by the Vogue, which was, at the time, it was um, one of the venues, the music venues. And um, and they were charging, it was said, there was a little sign on the front of the door. It said, nine bucks and two drink minimum, no bitching. And I looked at it, I was like, man, everybody's going in there, they're spending $20. And nobody's, and, and God, we're struggling to get people to come in for $7 to right. see a play. So I was like, I had this like, this this love hate relationship, but but looking back on it, it was such a really magical time because it was it was a very it was a young city, and I was young and we were all young and we were it was a really exciting time to be in this young city and be young um, because it was Seattle it was right when there was an enormous amount of migration that was happening that were like hearing about Seattle and it's a beautiful place and and it is it's a stunning beautiful beautiful place and then the music took off and um and uh, uh, uh yeah it was a very very exciting time so how long did you run a theater for well um I wasn't really running it I mean I mean how long were you how long were you involved in acting yeah there? so I moved out there in 86 so from 86 and, t and then I left in 94 now, what made you decide to leave? You can't come to L.A., right? Yeah. So you were just doing plays. Were you, like, was there any commercials or stuff up in Seattle? Were you Not any commercials. Like but um, in 91, uh, um, a lot of film came to the, to the town. And I got my first uh, film jobs. Uh, I got a minute movie of the week. Well, um, was, was that face of a stranger? Yeah. No, because I'm reading your IMDb. This is what I love. It's so funny, and I, I say this because I get so many uh, actors and that have worked so long and have continually worked, and I always laugh like when you see like their first part, just because sure. the way IMDb you just look at it, it just says thug. You know, yeah. I love that because it's sometimes it's just like the best is when they're like I guess someone's an extra and they don't want people to know and. and like this happens, yeah, and it's like people are like, I don't even know how I got on there. Like I, I had one guest, I had Mindy Sterling on, and I was like, so you were in BJ? And I wasn't on BJ. I said, oh, I love that show. And it was just, she goes, I don't know how some of these credits get up there. Yeah. So if you see it, you were a punk. You were punk and tainted. Yeah, that was in North Carolina. Well, that's but punk. You were punk, but then you went to a delivery man, yeah. and then you were thug. Yeah. And that was in Seattle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I know, then you got Hand that Rocks the Cradle. Yeah. Is that yeah, when you yeah, moved yeah. to L.A.? Um, let's see. So I got that. I got the face of the stranger. Um, hand of rocks. I mean, IMDb is kind of screwed up because it's not when you actually shot it. It's when it's released. Okay. So hand of rocks. Great. was actually my first job. And, um, and I got my SAG card from that. And, uh, but anyway, so there was a bulk of, oh, and I got a part in singles. I love that and, movie. That's, yeah. that's one of those underrated Cameron Crowe movies. The soundtrack is just amazing soundtrack. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a great movie. It was. It was. I got cut out. Thanks, Cameron. <laughs> but um, so there was a that summer, there was a, a lot of work. And I was like, wow, I could quit my job and just do this. And then, then Seattle, from what I understand, Seattle 
city sort of put restrictions on it, on filming there, and the film work sort of dried up. And I was like, wow, I was. Oh, and then um, uh, what the heck? That uh, Northern Exposure happened. So I did three episodes of that. You were a singing drunk. I was. That's so great. And, and a fisherman. And a t- see, back then, you so you you played three different characters. Yeah, there were three different characters. Because now you can't do that. But like back no. then, you see people would be in different. It's like even like I noticed that with like Law and Order SVU. You mm-hmm. know, I watched an old episode where Diane Neal played the girl who was the defendant. They raped the guy or whatever. Yeah. But then years later, she comes back and she's the uh-huh. the prosecutor. I go wait a second. You know, hey. it's just. But we, I have an idiot savant memory. I remember that, but most people don't. So that must have been fun. Though you got work and Northern Exposure was really big at the time. Yeah, it was fun. It was it was exciting. It was just. Anytime I get a job, it's exciting. I still do. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got a job. Um, but but then it was just like, man, oh man, this is it. This is gonna, right, right. This is the wave I'm gonna ride. <laughs> and uh, but I remember that, um, yeah. After that third one, they said, yeah, we're, we can't hire you again. And 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 I thought, man, I've got to move to I've got to move to California. I got to move to LA. Had you been here before? This. I'd gone a couple times again through Garrett because he um, got into AFI and uh, as a director, and he had me come down to work on um, some of his, you know, his, his uh, student films. So I had a little taste of it, and then I knew more people here than I knew in New York. So that was the big thing. I was like, should I go to New York? Should I go to L.A.? I'd be close to family in New York, but I don't know about the work there, and it's really hard, and L.A.'s kind of nice. It's weird because it's a desert, and that's so strange to me. But. It's so weird because, I mean, for me, even like I grew up back east, and when I came out, I lived in Vegas for a year, then San Diego for a while before I came here, and it's just different. You're not used to it because I guess we get, we get so used to the seasons and just getting your butt kicked in the winter, you know, and just yeah. sweating in the summer. Then you come out here, and it's like, Wait a second! It's always nice. It's so, Wait, it's like it can't be like that. Yeah, and the and the just the it's so brown. Right. You know everything brown, the the dirt and the the hills and everything. There's not that sort of especially from coming from Seattle. It's just like such green. So you moved down here. Where's your first? Where was your first place when you moved down here? I moved to Burbank. Really? Because I, I live in Burbank. I love Burbank. Yeah. I, I, I lived in Hollywood for like. A year now. I lived in Westwood for a little bit in Hollywood. I've been in Burbank for like 13 years or 12 years. I love Burbank. Sure. Yeah, I lived, um, I could walk. It was an apartment just right on the hill there. Uh, Tahunga, I think. I live, I live on Tahunga. Are you kidding I'm me? not lying. I live, but oh I'm, 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 I'm right above Glen Oaks. But there's tons of apartments up there. And then there's, yeah. Yeah, it's tons of them. That's it's, exactly where I live. So I could walk down. It was right when... You know, they started to work on that downtown area. Yeah, I heard it used to be like know? a grass, like in the middle. Like it was just, I remember I moved here and there was a Woolworths or there was not a Woolworths. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah, like, a, that was ages. And yeah. the downtown just changed. It's so, yeah, I, don't, I haven't been back in a really long time. But, um, but yeah, it's changed a lot. Uh, sort of on the grove, ver- verging on the grove right. type of thing. So you moved to Burbank. Yeah. And then now what do you do? Do you go get an agent? I mean, you're new. I mean, you had some credits and you, yeah. I guess you knew some people from your acting. But what do you... Where do you go from there? Again, I was lucky again. I was just, this is all going back to Garrett. My entire career devoted to Garrett Bennett. No, he, um, um, I, when I moved down, he was doing a, um, a short play in a group of short plays. And it was a really fun, clever little piece uh, in this evening. And luckily, there were all these other people in 
that evening um, that other people wanted to come and see okay. <laughs> that were represented already. And all these people that were, you know, had careers, hadn't sort of risen to where they are now. There was like Catherine Keener was in a piece. Benjamin Bratt was in a piece. Okay. Giovanni Ribisi was in a piece. Uh, so, so we were, and we were all really pretty young um, and they had great little things happening. So people came to see them and they saw me and there was a guy uh, who was representing uh, Ben Bratt uh, who, who had represented Ben Bratt and he said, hey, do, you, do you have a manager? Do you want a manager? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then we got an agent and, and, um, and went down that road. Now, did you start getting auditions a lot? Yeah, um, I did. And I wish, and you hear this a lot, uh, I wish that I had been better prepared okay. for it. Why do you say that? Because I blew a lot of them, I believe. Because um, I didn't know who I was. I thought I was one thing, but I should have gone with, because I had really long hair and um, I looked, you know, I looked kind of imposing in a weird, in a way. So I was like, they said, well, what do you want to go out for? And I was like, well, I think I can go out for these sort of things. So I would be sent out on these things. And of course, everybody that the casting directors called in are these huge hulking guys that right. are really scary. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know where I fit in. And I should have just gone, you know what? I just want to be the weird best friend. Send me out for the weird best friend parts. But I didn't know who I was. Right. You know? So now, when did you start auditioning for the commercials? Because you've, you've, yeah. you've done a ton of commercials. Yeah, I've done a, a ton of commercials. Do you have um, one running right now? Yeah, I got one for Crestor. For yeah, okay. I, I saw it. I told my girlfriend the other night. I was like, hey, that's. Oh, it was last night. And I, I was like, hey, that's my guest tomorrow. Because awesome. I always do that. It's so funny. We always say, because I've been doing the show for, what, three and a half years. And just in the last two years, I've been getting actors that work a lot. And it goes to a point where like, there's a day where I can't go through. <laughs> like the other night I was watching, it was Friday night or Saturday, and uh, I love that show Cold Case. Mm-hmm. And I put it on, and uh, Reed Diamond was on a few weeks ago, and he played the killer in the episode. And the next episode, Robert Romanus, who was Damone at Fast Times Ridgemont High, he's been on my show. He played a, so it was two, the TV show Cold Case, and I'm like, God, back to back, both killers were on my show. Nice. So it gets so weird, but that was like with the commercial. I said, the joy, and I said, oh, and she said this morning, that's a guy, yeah. So, that's so But now, when, when did you start booking your first commercials? Well, um, so I was with uh, my manager at the time was Eric Kritzer, and uh, and I just, you know, I just it was just like I was getting stuff, I was getting some parts in theater, I mean in film and TV, uh, not so much TV, more mainly like film, and um, uh, and and I did this see uh, uh, this um, um, interactive. Thing. It was like one of the first ones, and it was Johnny Johnny Mnemonic. I remember that. Based on that movie. So and I was talking to this the guy that was playing the lead, and I was bemoaning my, you know, I can't get work, I need some money. And he's like, oh, man, you should do commercials. I was like, really? Are you sure? He's like, oh, man, I made so much money on this one commercial. I was like, yeah, freaking go out. So he um, sent me out to, uh, he said, well, why don't you meet... Um, uh, this commercial agent flick, and so I did. And I I met uh, Karen, who was running it at the time, and we hit it off. And 
sent me out and um now tina is running it uh, uh but i think within a about maybe it seemed like forever but it's just probably within four months or five six months something like that i got my first commercial what was it for do you remember it was for isuzu okay it was and i thought oh my god i'm gonna make a hundred thousand million dollars easily exactly that's what i hear and uh um, golly, what was the guy's name? The director. I've done like five or six commercials with him. Um, oh well, but uh, but I did it, and and then and that really became um, my living for a long time, like ten years. Uh, I was like, well, this is a lot easier. There's a lot more auditions. And, you know, you work, like, you work, and then you just keep getting residuals. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's one of those things. I mean, what are some of the commercials you've done? I mean, you've done a ton of them. Yeah, I've done a ton. Um, one of my first really big ones was for AOL, and it was, like, 96 when AOL... Was running the world. <laughs> yeah, before it, it... It was, yeah, like, 96, and they were just about to, like, really explode. And I did it. It was a, a big shoot, um, long shoot. It was sort of a montage thing, lots of montages. And it was uh, uh, it was to the Jetsons theme, and um, a lot of different edits on it. And uh, and everybody was like, "Oh man, you're gonna make so much money on this!" All the people, the producers, everybody. It's, it's like a curse. Right, right. <laughs> and everybody says that. <laughs> and I did. I actually made a lot of money. But what happened was that AOL got so overrun by new subscribers that um, a judge made them cease and desist all advertising. Wow. So until they figured out, until they put in um, adequate equipment to to uh, hold all these new clients you know it's funny when you talk about aol like for the for the younger listeners they uh aol i mean aol you've got mail was because of aol a movie i mean they when you think about a tom hanks and meg ryan movie was because of aol and then there was aol and there was prodigy and there was uh earthlink earthlink yeah there was i I always crack up well for me it's it's surprised you you still have your AOL, aol uh email no i don't i always crack on when people have it i go i'm like just change it i know it's but it's like it's aol it's like someone or someone who has like earthlink you go and earthlink wasn't even a dot com it was a net you know but it's like just change it there's hotmail there's this there's that i'm on yahoo but i'm like you know but now it's it's so old it's hip yeah let's see it's probably will come back (laughs) like all the hipsters all the hipsters be like yeah man i got i got dial up that's yeah. what, I got dial up. It's like a two on three area code. It's like I got two on three, man. That's crazy when I see that. When I see a two on three, I go, "Wow." Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because where I grew up, the area code was six oh nine, and uh, in New Jersey. Oh, okay. My area code and uh, my girlfriend, her cell phone was six oh nine. But when she moved, they changed it to eight five six for her home. And I said, "I'm never calling." your home number she goes why i said because i'm not i grew up in a 609 you live in a 609 i'm not calling an 856 that's unheard of i said i remember my first my first number was 609-428-0499 from when i was a kid i still remember that but i'm like i don't call any you know it's like 213 you go this is (laughs) humphrey bogart (laughs) so so you're getting these commercials and so now are you getting recognized a lot because the commercials must have been huge yeah um 
yeah, after the AOL, I got. Uh, I remember being at a party and like talking to somebody, and all of a sudden his face changed, and it was like, "Oh my God, you're the guy in the AOL thing." And um, uh, but a lot of times it's sort of like uh, just just people will come up to me and go, oh, "I really like your work," and they don't really know. It's right. just like I'm just sort of like, uh, as a friend of mine put it, uh, not about me, but about himself. It was like. Just sort of like the wallpaper. Well, you know, I always you know? say you have a look like something. I have something. It's called a unique familiar. Mm-hmm. Like you sit there and you know you, but you have a uniqueness. But then I could see if someone could mistake you for like, do you know Ben Weber? Yeah. You could. I could see like someone going, oh, well, you know, like real quick, going, hey, that might be the guy from the the, the, the Oscar Mayer commercial. Because people don't, unfortunately, we're at a point now where people don't really pay attention when they watch. So, they, and, if, and especially in LA, if you see someone, I mean, you always see people that you, well, that guy was in a commercial. That guy was in a commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're doing these, getting these commercials. Now, are you still going out to act, trying to do the serious acting? Or do you just like, I'm doing commercials so much or what happened? Yeah, I, there was a point where um, I was just so frustrated with not going out on um, theatrical stuff. that I was like, you know what? I screw it. I, and so I, I, I I was I just I talked to my manager at the time and I was like I I'm just it, it's killing me it's I would rather just not even go out I would rather just go out on commercials and that was the way that way for and I didn't have a manager I didn't have a a uh, um, a, um, a uh, an agent so but you were still going off of commercials yeah because the casting directors knew you probably yeah and yeah, they would yeah. contact you directly yeah. Which is good, you see. No, no, I had a commercial agent. Okay. It's just not a theatrical Okay, agent. so you just said, I'm just going to do commercials. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do right now. That's all I'm going to do. Were you doing any theater at the time, or were you just... Yeah, I've been a part of uh, the Actors Gang Theater Company in uh, Culver City. Okay. I've been involved in that for about 20 years. Okay, so you're still, you're getting, you're, you, I mean, if you think about it, you know, you have your you have it good because you're booking commercials and you're making that money, mm-hmm. but you can also be plying your craft, which a lot of people don't get to do that. Yeah. That's been a real blessing, and and um, and I still do it. I mean, it's a, it's a great theater company, and it's just grown and grown and grown. And um, as far as the quality and the the the, the company itself, like uh, last night, um, uh, I went to see our production of Midsummer Night's Dream, um, which is just about to go on tour. So we've got three nights uh, tonight. And tomorrow is the last night. And then they go on tour, and then they come back, and they uh, do a couple months. But uh, it's just so beautiful to see a group of people all swimming in the same pool. Now, how did, you said you've been with them for twenty years. How did you end up in that theater company through people you knew in Seattle were involved in it, or how did you end up ending up in this the actors gang? Were they, was it a new group when you joined it, or they've been around for? No, a while? they've been around for ten years. This is. Um, uh, not to name drop, but just the person who started is Tim Robbins. Okay, he started it with his uh, UCLA friends the same time that we were starting Annex up in Seattle, around the same time. But uh, him and VJ Foster and uh, Cynthia Ettinger, and Ned Bellamy, and Lee Ehrenberg, and uh, all these great guys. I was doing a short film with Lee Ehrenberg, and um, we were talking about theater. I just just gotten down to LA and uh, and we were rapping about theater and I was telling him about my experience with 
with what I did up in Seattle, as well as the training I did in, in LA, I mean, in uh, North Carolina, which uh, my favorite part was this mask work with uh, my teacher, Jared Sakran. He had these amazing masks. So we were talking about masks, and he said, hey, you know what? We, you, we deal with a lot of masks, too. Why don't you come on down and hang out? Um, or at the time, we would, they, the, the company would have these two-week intensive workshops around uh, the holidays. Uh, and if you were a member, you could invite somebody that was not a member okay. to come and play. So I did, and and uh, they, I, I was just, I was, this is what I want to do. This is a lot of fun, and it's theater for theater's sake. But it's not. It's it's a very uh, open, um, um, extroverted type of work even though it's grounded in a lot of reality. So you've been them for 20 years. Yeah. So what are some of the productions you've done that you've really enjoyed being there? You know, what were some of the roles? Because I saw a picture, there's a picture of you somewhere, I don't know if it's on, I think it was on Wikipedia. I don't know, because I, I always look. No, yeah. you, know, you know, I don't know, there's a picture of you, looks like you're singing. I don't know, I don't know what it is. Oh, okay, yeah, that's um, from Heart of Darkness. Okay. And uh, then that was the last, uh, last production that I acted in was... Um, and ad- I adapted uh, Joseph Conrad's uh, book, uh, novel, Heart of Darkness, for as a solo production. So that's what that was from, and that was a, a really great experience because it's such a great story, and uh, and um, and to tell it uh, in that first person, which is how the book is written. It's okay. all written in first person. It's like a campfire story. Um, so that, uh, you know, right off the top of my head, that was one of my favorite things. Um, not just because I was doing it all by myself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually two other people on the stage that, that, that are helping me. Um, but, uh, and yeah, I just won a LA weekly award for that. Okay. Uh, and then, um, before that, let's see, uh, we did a production of 1984, uh, Tim was had directed and we did that uh, about six years ago that was a really great production that Michael Gene Sullivan wrote he's from the Seattle Mime Troupe I mean um, San Francisco Mime Troupe and it was a really great adaptation of 1984 and uh, we did that for years we traveled around the world with that and uh, uh, another one was Embedded which was um, Tim wrote he was really frustrated with um, what was happening in the beginnings of the Iraq War. Okay, and uh, and he felt really shut down. Uh, so he wrote this play on a plane, and he came back says, "I really want to well, let's sort of workshop this." So we workshopped it in a little twenty seat theater, and then it just grew, and we ended up doing it in a bigger space, and then we went and did it at the Public, and New York, and went to London. Um, and it was a really great experience because it was it was in the moment, and it was the first and only play that was, was against what was happening okay. in the war. And um, and he was the main thrust of it. Why it's called embedded was about embedded journalism, and how it's. It's really a sham because you're not 
being an embedded journalist, you're just getting what they, what the powers that be want to give you. Right. Uh, as opposed to independent journalists um, that are on the ground and getting everything, seeing everything, taking pictures of everything. So, the, uh, and it was a farce. It was a, a really fun, a sad. How long? How long did you travel doing that for? We worked on it for um, at least two years that I was involved in it, and but it also uh, uh, we that I was not involved in because I was doing something else. There was an, there was a, another tour that was happening around the, the country as well that I wasn't involved in. But so it was probably at least three years okay. of of that production. So it was a lot of production. So you were, you weren't really you weren't doing the commercial auditioning then. You weren't doing any of that stuff. Were you just concentrating when on the production. I can yeah. I mean you know uh, uh, we have a, a a rule at the gang that that it, you have to work right. You know. You, it, you, we all want to be actors, so if you get a job, you got to get, you have to do the job. So we try to implement uh, as many understudies as possible. And, you know. Well, with the acting, also, you know, you were in Reno Nine One One. Yeah. About now, how did that come about? Because uh, I mean, you, you like it's just like eight episodes. Were you a recurring yeah. character, or how did that come about? Yeah, um, uh, uh, Tom became really good friends of mine. We still are really good friends. Um, he's the godfather of my children. Tom Lennon? Tom Lennon. Now, how'd you meet him? I met him. He started going out with a good friend of ours, Jenny Lennon. Okay. Jenny Robertson was at the time, and they got married. And um, uh, they are dear friends. And um, so I guess it was nepotism that got hey, me the who job. cares, right? Who cares? <laughs> I mean, so, so you got on there. Yeah, I did the pilot. Um, I didn't really know what was uh, what was happening but in the pilot. He says, um because it's a very loose uh, format. They have scenarios of like, okay, you're this guy, and then this is going to happen to you, and then let's see what happens. Um, so the f- pilot episode, I they said, okay, you're going to be you're going to be in a neck brace, and um, you were at a strip club, and uh, you got beat up by some strippers, and uh, and uh, you're at a police lineup, so you're behind this glass, and you're going to have to pick out these uh the, who, right. who your stripper was and uh, <laughs> i was like okay great let's do it so i get we we're all rigged up and i got bruises all over my face and you know they're very clever you know they start the camera on me i'm like oh god oh, i don't uh, are you sure they can't see me and all that kind of stuff and then the camera moves around and then you see all these strippers that okay. are in the lineup and as we were doing it it was wendy was wendy um was uh was doing the scene with me and um, and the AD was really intense about everything that day. He was like, "Okay, we're all going to be professionals. We're all going to be, you know, grown ups, and you know, this is closed set and all this." And Wendy and I were like, "What the hell's going on?" And then at some point, it was like, "Okay, girls, take off your take off your take off your bras." And I'm like, <laughs> Wendy and I looked at, and they just that's funny. Take off their and they're they're all you know hanging out and. Um, like oh okay <laughs> so uh so it was fun it was fun to, to like come up and, and and they're very permissive of like well what do you got and i was like oh what if i tell them like you know i can't i don't recognize anybody and, and can they just bounce up and can they jump up and down okay. and 
and because that was hap- there was a lot of movement and this sort of thing. So I was playing with that. So they took that this this crazy weird pervert guy that gets beat up, and um, then they then later on, like season three or something, they said uh, they came to me and said, "Hey, can you?" Um, uh, think of something um, like uh, there's a guy like the, that guy, and he's he's always in trouble at the at the at the whorehouse at the chicken ranch. I mean, okay, great. So I came up with all these different weird little ideas, and I came to them and um, said, uh, "Well, I want to like always just be impersonating somebody, like always be the same guy." But right, okay. So so different cops would come. And, uh, and they'd say, okay, what's going on? And I'd say, well, I'm from the Better Business Bureau. And uh, and um, and I was told, uh, and, and the LA Weekly, it says, Reno Weekly, it says that these girls are, um, it's a superhero room. And uh, and um, and these girls don't look like, I mean, the, the girl's not Ghost. She doesn't look like Ghost. Right, okay. Like, that's not a, <laughs> you know, Ghost was in a unit, and it's not a bikini. You know. So it did sort of things like that. And, um and then last, what was it, in October, I got an email from Ben, Ben Grant. He says, hey, check this out. And he um, sent me this link to the New, the, uh, New York Magazine. Did an interview with him and Tom. It was like the 10-year anniversary of the first Reno, and they were retrospecting it. And they said, and they said well, why don't you pick, each pick five of your favorite scenes. And, pick, and Ben picked one that I was in. Okay. And I was like, "Yay!" See, that's cool. We're uh, we're we're coming down on time. Oh damn! No, I want I want to talk about. I saw you in the show Turn. Yeah. Now I I haven't. I'm gonna admit it. I haven't watched it. I watched Mad oh. Men. I just watched Halt and Catch Fire. And everyone I know who's watched Turn says it's really good. Yes. Now, where did you shoot that? Because that's like a, it looks like a really big production. Like you know, and you play uh, Charles Lee, General Lee. General Lee. Yeah. How General did that Charles come about? Like, you know, I mean, it's like just you did you. To audition for it? I just auditioned for okay. it. Yeah, yeah. That was one of those things where, you, uh, where um, a lot of times you audition for something and it, like for months you don't hear anything. This was one of the first things. I auditioned for it. And the next day it's like, oh, you got it. Oh, thank God. But um, we shot it in Richmond, Virginia, and the surrounding areas. And uh, one of my scenes we shot in it's called Tuckahoe, which was. At the time, during that time, it was where George Washington and Thomas Jefferson it was like a the, the boarding school type thing. That's where they were educated. Okay. And um, another scene we shot at Patrick Henry's house, and, and so they shooted these historic places, the beautiful places. And um, another part of the, they shoot the, a lot of the sound state, not sound state stuff, but the uh, the exterior town is shot on this enormous. Um, it's the the uh, Virginia State Prison land. Okay. And that's where John Adams was shot in anyway, so they used some of that set, and that's where they, they shoot that. But it was a really great experience. And and you get to dress up in that old uh, garb. Now, is it heavy? That stuff looks like it'd be hot. Like, they always say back back in the day, it was a heavy wool suit. Are they, are they like, le- legit old suits? Like, did they make them, like, with a wardrobe like that? Are they heavy, or what's it like? Yeah, they weren't too heavy. Um, uh, you know, they were all custom made. Everything's custom made because they had to really. Uh, um, uh, but I, I do know, yeah, back then that they did make it really heavy because it was like bulletproofing. 
um, they, if you, they were the idea was to put on as much right. wool as possible to maybe the. We all know wool stops a bullet. Yeah, <laughs> it's like whoa. <laughs> so that must have been great though, because it's like a period piece, and it just uh, it's yeah. uh, and AMC always just their shows are great. Yeah, AMC shirts. Well, what is the what is the exact premise of Turn? The premise of Turn is uh, George Washington's uh, spies, and it was the first time that that in uh that spies were used in the way that we know spies okay back then uh, a spy was more a thought of as somebody that would um <clears throat> like a scout would go and it's like oh there's 300 okay. people and then come back in the mor morning so now this was an idea of of somebody that lives in new york city or or uh, and, and corresponding with them and saying what's going on. Okay. And and uh, so that's the premise of it. And all these different worlds that are happening within it. And there's a lot of those are unknowns. Um, there's this great character of uh, that. There's a slave character and how she lives into the in the place where um, the headquarters of the of the, the 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 British and so she's filtering in information and all this and and. Um, and I'm really, really happy to be involved in it. I mean, the the character I was playing was such a fun, weird, historic character. Right. Uh, that there's really not that much written about him. But what is is really juicy because he's just nuts. Nuts. He's See, that's great. Nuts. That must be great. You know. So fun. So we have a few minutes. Um, what else is coming up? I see kittens in the cage and chasing Eagle Rock. What, are they? Yeah. Um, both of them are um, independent things. Chasing You Rock, my friend Nari Avari wrote and directed, and uh, he's been editing it, um, and uh, hopefully that will come out soon. It's a really great story, um, and he's a great guy, a great actor, Eric Avari. And, uh, and then the other one is Kittens in the Cage, which Gillian Armanante um, created, uh, and it's going to be like a web series. Okay. And uh, and um, it's sort of uh, sort of ex not exploitation, but sort of the, the the girls in prison. Okay, all right, cool. Sort of thing. Now, now are you auditioning for commercials still? You going out a lot? I mean, you have that one going right now, and then as much as possible. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see what I'm doing right now. I'm actually on. As soon as I finish with you, I'm going to see my friend David Gentoli, who's on Grimm. I did an episode of Grimm, okay. and he actually just texted me yesterday. He's like, oh, I'm doing this film. You want to do this part? And again, it's going to sort of the same sort of thing as Reno. It's just like I get a couple little pieces of information, then I'll come and, see, that's cool. and, uh, and play. That's uh, good. Yeah. We get a lot going on now. Do you, you, uh, you, tweet? do you tweet or no? I don't. I, I, I haven't understood tweeting. Right. Well, do you, well, how can people get in touch with you? Well, I got a Facebook page, but I should probably, but I do have a Twitter page, and and I should uh, pay more attention to it. I'm going to talk to you after we finish is, this thing. Is it Brian? Is, is your Twitter Brian T. Finney? Brian T. Finney. Okay, well, follow my Twitter, and I want to thank you for coming on, Brian. We'll talk about the Twitter. Thank and you. And yeah, it was great to meet you. It was great good. to I, meet Greg you. Greg and I saw you on Marin, and I, I dialed you up. And that and was it, fun. That was great. Anyway, people, I want to. Uh, uh, thank you for listening. Just remember, follow me at uh, Twitter at Cooper Talk. Also, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have about 260 episodes up there. Send me an email, cooper at indie100.com. Uh, want to hear what you have to say? Uh, 
iTunes and Stitcher. Just type in Cooper Talk, one word. You can find the episodes. Also, uh, last uh, last week, uh, Cooper Talk Live with John Capolos at Bob's Espresso went great. Uh, Bob's is owned by uh, Robert Romanos, who played Damone at Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I have another one coming up Saturday the 14th uh, at 7 o'clock. We'll be at Bob's. There's no admission. Right now, my guest is Jordan Brady, who uh, directed the great documentary I Am Comic and has a new I Am Rogue comic coming out. He may have to go out to direct a commercial, though, so I'll be trying to figure out what's up there. So, yeah, and also every uh, – actually, tonight, well, because we record Tuesday, this is going to be – you heard this on Wednesday. I will be at the uh, Ice House Stage 2 at 8.30. I don't perform much, but come on out. It's John Cooperman's show. So, yeah, send me a message. Uh, tweet me. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Remember, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. You have a great weekend.